Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Good morning. Welcome to Tate Springs. I trust you had a uh, good Thanksgiving, and I'm excited to be in the Christmas season. It's the best time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year, and I love uh, how cold it is outside right now, (laughs) especially after the summer that we've had here in in Tejas. And so go ahead and grab your uh, copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of Romans. I just love that song we just sang, uh, God, We Are Standing on Your Faithfulness. And that really sets up the message well this morning, because when you think about that line, we are standing on God's faithfulness. And so you have God who gives us his promise, the God of covenant. We had a whole series on covenants last year, earlier this year, whenever it was, sometime I've preached it. And uh, and so the the God of covenant who gives his, his promises, and we've been grafted into this. And so when we stand on, when we stand on his faithfulness, we're, we're not standing on our own. We're standing on the promise that he's given us. And so you, in other words, you cannot divorce God from his word. And that's really kind of what Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter seven. So go ahead and, and take your copy of God's word and, and turn there with me. And wh- what we're gonna talk about today <clears throat> is the idea of living your life by a higher standard. Living your life by a higher standard. A, a standard that is higher than the legalism of the law by itself. Now, as you're turning there, um, I don't know about you, but I live my life essentially by a to-do list, by a checklist. Anyone else really wake up and do that? I, th- there's some, some things out there that say, that say, don't do that, but it really works well for me. I, live, I have to-do lists, I have checklists. It's how I try to remain uh, efficient. I even have themes to my day. And so I have, so on Monday, it's my housekeeping day. I, I show up and I answer emails. I catch up with all the things that I, uh, that kind of stacked up in my inbox and such during the weekends. And, and I just, you know, my office is open. I'm just kind of there. I'm pretty, my mind's mush after Sunday in the weekend, you know? And then on Tuesdays, my meeting day, we meet with the staff, meet individually with staff members, meet with church members and whoever else. Wednesday, lock myself in a room, prepare for what you're listening to right now. And then Thursday, I, I, it's kind of half and half. And so in the morning, I continue locking myself away. And then in the afternoon, it's catch-up day. And then Friday and Saturday, uh, family day, personal day, and then Sunday's worship day. And so I, I have this, this, uh, this list for every day of things I have to do. And I, and I go down that list and I live my life by this to-do list, to, to-do list by, this, uh, by this checklist. And as time has uh, pressed on, um, if you're like me, then you've realized there have been technological advances that help us, those of us who live our lives this way. And so there, there's the internet and there's, there are computers and then there are smart devices and now there more recently is artificial intelligence, all these things to kind of help automate. And so it's less about pen and paper. Now things are automatic to where you can even have a checklist and you hit it and just disappears off. All these different things to help your life to be more efficient. Now I want you to imagine with me, let's take the concept of artificial intelligence. And imagine that this thing just continues to press on and progress as it is technologically. And, uh, and imagine in the not too distant future, which, which by the way, anyone who makes a movie and the synopsis is in the not too distant future, I'm hooked. I'm ready to watch it right, right then and there. But imagine in the not too distant future, artificial, uh, artificial intelligent, uh, intelligence has advanced 
in such a way where everything of your, in, of your life and in your life is now automated. And so you wake up and, uh, and let's just say you have an artificial intelligence robot. Let's say you call her Rosie, not Siri or, um, or Alexa, but Rosie from the Jetsons, you know, and she's there and, uh, and she cooks for you and uh, she cleans for you. And, uh, and all the jobs that exist, even let's just say, even, uh, even preaching, there's an artificial, I'm not saying I agree with that, I'm just saying, let's just say that the world is just kind of like dystopian, it's advanced to where all you do is wake up and, uh, and you receive um, your, uh, your food and then you just rest and then you take a nap and everything's just kind of automatically happening. All right, let's just imagine that that's all happening for a minute. And now everyone's on just kind of a universal income and life has just become a big checkbox to the point where you are not even checking the boxes anymore. You're just kind of, you're just kind of existing. Something between the movie and, and book Ready Player One and, uh, and uh, the movie Wally, if you've seen that. That's kind of what life has become. This paints a picture of just mere existence. And so we're just alive. We're just kind of, we're just kind of existing. And uh, the meaningfulness in this kind of life of personal effort and even decision-making is really just lost in such a, such a life. It's a life where you're just checking off the boxes provided by an external system. And listen, here's the point. There's no spirit left in such a life. There'd be no spirit left in that kind of life. You would just be existing. And so the reason I bring all that up this morning is this, because sometimes in our spiritual life, I think we tend to live that way, even though we listen to a scenario like that and we think to ourselves, I would never want to live like that. You know, I've been uh, showing Bob Ross uh, old videos to my kids lately and they love them. You know, they're like, wow, look dad. And you know, his voice is just so soothing and he just taught and it just makes you want to take a nap, you know, and you're listening and you're watching and, and you're thinking, and, you, and he has really good things, you know, he's painting. He's like, we'll just put a tree there. And then he like diverges into this big ph philosophical, you know, analysis. And then he goes, oh, and look, there's a little rock, you know? And, and so you're listening to that. But what he does is he's, he's not just existing. He is, uh, he's, he's, participating in something that gives his life some meaning and value, and he's contributing something. And I remember a line he once said after, it was the episode that aired, I think the week his wife passed away, and he was talking about the contrast of dark and light in the painting. And he says, you have to have light, because if there's just darkness and darkness, then there's nothing. And so he said, you know, I'm really just kind of in a dark season right now, but the light's coming. And so he says these things, and he's showing that life is more than just existing, but yet spiritually sometimes... What happens is that we just tend to live our life in a relationship with the law of God and we forget about the God of the law. And so Paul, as he's talking about this tension here, what he wants us to know is the kind of life that God desires for you in relationship to him. You see, is our faith journey just about following just a script, just following the law, or is there something deeper to that? So Paul's going to dive into this in Romans chapter 7, and I want you to look with me at verse 6 because it's uh, one of the key verses in this text, and it says this. Paul writing says, Now we have been released from the law, having died, so that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter." 
So as we're exploring Romans 7, here's what we want to understand. We want to ask ourselves, are we living a life of religious checkboxes under a law, or are we experiencing a dynamic life in the spirit that Paul talks about here? Are we just existing, or are we truly living, in other words? So here's today's sermon in a sentence. We don't just follow the law of God. We do follow the law of God, but we, we don't just follow the law of God. We're called to follow the God of the law. So we're going to see really the intent of this today. So Paul has an argument that, that unravels in Romans 7, and there are three parts to it. The first is he talks about the letter of the law. The second is he talks about the sin that's connected through the law. And then he talks about the inner laws, the word he uses. So we're going to follow those three points to help us understand what we mean by the, the statement that we don't just follow the law of God, but we follow the God of the law. So let's first talk about the letter of the law. There is a letter to the law. There is a letter to the law. Now, Paul begins Romans chapter 7 by showing that there is this kind of this, um, this letter to the law. There is a hard checklist system when it comes to the law that God has given us. And I want you to notice here in verse 1 that he applies it to the living. Let's read it. Or do you not know, brethren, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? So look at that last part of verse 1, as long as he lives. There's a couple of things that Paul means here. It's important to know that he's not talking about physical life so much as he is talking about spiritual life here. So he's talking about the spiritual life of the person. I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over the one as long as he lives. Within the context, he's talking about spiritual life here. And it's also important to understand that in this context of verse 1, he's talking about life as it has to do not with salvation, but before salvation. So the person who is alive to the law, but not necessarily in the context of Romans 7, alive yet to the Lord. And so he, then he gives an illustration to help us understand that. So look at verses 2 and 3. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, but she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So what he's talking about here really is he's appealing to a Roman law that is anti-polygamy. So it's not dissimilar to, to the laws that we have right now, unless you're in Utah, I guess. But he, it's, so it's, it's not dissimilar to our law. It's the concept of monogamy. But what he's doing here is a joke. I'm just kidding. But it's, a, it's the idea of monogamy. Uh, but he's, he's applying it to theology here. He's applying it to theology here. And so the point is that you were made, when he's talking about life, and he's talking about, he's baking in this illustration that, that essentially says this, yes, you were alive, but the purpose of this life, don't miss this, this train of logic here with Paul, the purpose of this life with the law is designed so that you would die to the law. That was, that was the whole point when God made all this. That was the whole point. And so you were made to die to the law so that you could be joined to another, in other words. And, and what he means by another, of course, is none other than Jesus, which we're going to he's going to go to here in just a minute. And so the law by itself, in other words, is this cold-hearted companion. When you divorce it from God, which was never the intent, it's this cold-hearted companion that really kind of leaves you 
that leaves you dead in your sins is how Paul describes it. And so um, I have this, uh, this picture of uh, this comes, this idea, this is lady justice, blind lady justice. And uh, I was at a restaurant the other day and I saw this on the way out and it kind of prompted my mind as I was thinking about Romans 7. And uh, this idea comes from Rome. In Rome, she wasn't wearing the blindfold. That came from the Renaissance period. But blind lady justice, the idea really comes from a Roman goddess. And so she was the god of law, the god of justice, and, and she holds the scales. And during the Renaissance period, they put this blindfold over to really represent the idea of cold-hearted law. And so she doesn't see who she's judging. She doesn't, she doesn't have any personality. She doesn't have any care. She doesn't have any element of grace about her. Essentially, what she does is she holds out the scale and, and she weighs the balance. And whatever it is, is whatever it is. And that's the kind of relationship that Paul is saying that someone has with the law when they miss the purpose of the law. And it's this idea of blind lady justice. And so the idea that Paul's trying to get to here is that this is really what he has been rehearsing for seven different chapters now. He's trying to get us to understand that, that those of us who like to hold on to the law, and the reason I keep beating this dead horse is because Paul keeps beating it, but I think that for 2,000 years since he's written this letter, we still continue to struggle with this. We still, we still like to think that one day before God, that if we, if we can get and, and show him all of the good things that we've done, that he will not be able to help himself but say, man, you're amazing. Come on into heaven. But what he's saying is, listen, it does not work that way. Because the law, if that is how we want to justify ourselves before a holy and righteous and perfect God, it's not going to give us life eternal. It's going to give us death. And so it leaves us essentially in a bad marriage that we can't get out of, is what he's saying. But then he begins to, to, to do something really important here. And, uh, and the second point that Paul gives us is that there's a leechiness to sin. And yes, I know I made up the word leechiness, but just go with me here. So Paul wants us to understand that the law is not the problem. Of course, the law is not the problem. It's God's word. It's a misunderstanding of the law. It's when we take the things of God and we misappropriate them or misunderstand them and turn them into something other than what they were ever intended to be. And so he nuances the discussion in this way. He begins to separate the law from the thing that has really tried to hijack it, and that is sin. And so he wants us to understand that sin has leached itself onto the law in order to bring death upon you and upon me. So look with me at verse 8 where he says, sin has taken the opportunity, listen to this, through the commandment or through the law. And Paul says it produced in me the activity of sin. And also in verse 8, he talks about how sin apart from the law is dead. And so what he's sharing with us is that while the law reveals sin, sin uses the law. So yes, we, we had the whole sermon in this series uh, with the mirror on stage, and we talked about how the law reflects back to us, and he's established that. But now what he wants to do here in Romans 7 is he wants you to understand that while the law shows you your sin, sin wants to use the law to kill you because of your sin. And so sin leeches itself onto the law. It's not dissimilar to what we see in, Rome, uh, in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 17, in Genesis 2, 17, God created Adam and Eve, and they're there in the garden, and then he gives them this command. And, and it's his law. 
And before he gave them the law, the law did not exist. It wasn't there for them to know about. And so he gives them his word. He gives them the law and he says, don't eat from this tree. You can eat from any tree, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now his law is there on the table and they have this, uh, this option of, uh, of, of how they're going to respond to this law. And sin attaches itself to that law and comes through the law and essentially spiritually kills Adam and Eve. And then because of that, physical death comes as well. That's what Paul is reflecting on here. And so this, this idea that Paul's giving us gives us some pretty critical theological insights that I want to walk you through very quickly. The first is this, that the concept and idea of evil essentially already existed, but not, did not come into existence into to man. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the concept was there. There was the serpent there. So obviously all of that was there. And second, Adam and Eve, while they were not sinners, they of course were capable of sin because they ended up sinning. And so they were capable of, of sin and sin used its way attaching itself to God's law to snake its way into humanity and into creation. And finally, in that moment, as Paul has belabored in the book of Romans already, is that because of that decision through sin, leeching itself onto the law, now we have inherited their sin nature and we call this original sin. And so you and I now are deeply, deeply, deeply corrupted. It's not, again, that we are, we are born and then we just wait until we're really good until we wait that we sin, until we sin. It's that we are born into sin, as the psalmist writes. And so we need God to create in us a clean heart and to renew within us a right spirit because sin is so deeply entrenched in us. All of this is, is kind of baked into this. And this is what Paul means when he gets to, to verses 14 and following. Let's just go ahead and, and pick it up where he says in verse 14, read this with me. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. Now listen to this. For what I am doing, I don't, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Original sin is what he means here. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. But if I'm, going, uh, if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. Do you see the power of sin in Paul's life? It's the same power of sin that's in your life. And so there are times in our lives where we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, why am I doing the things that I don't want to do and not doing the things that I want to do? It's because this sin nature is so potent in us. It's so deeply entrenched in us. And essentially sin is a leech on God's law. But it's a little bit deeper than that. You see a leech, like a tick, it, it attaches to the host and it tries to, uh, and it gets its life from that. But the picture that Paul is giving here of sin is something a little bit deeper than just a parasite. It's something more like um, a, a symbiote. Uh, if those of you who are Marvel comic book fans, you're going to think of Venom. You know, it's, he's more that, that black Spider-Man, the black, uh, the black um, uh, costume Spider-Man. And, and so it's this, uh, this symbiote that, that attaches itself and is more than just leeching on, but actually becomes the person. And uh, now trigger warning real quick, okay? I'm about to show you a, a very, like a six second video. It's really cool, but it's also a little wild. 
uh, because there is such a thing in real creation, not just in comic books, of, uh, of, of parasites um, that turn bugs into actual zombies. And it's, it's a neurological issue where these parasites basically control the bug. Okay, so if you're like weirded out from bugs, just close your eyes for a second. If you're interested, check out this, uh, this small video and look at this, this, uh, this roach. You can see that the roach has, it's been completely carved out in its body. All it has left is this head. And there is such a thing for wasps and beetles. There are, uh, there are different kinds of uh, funguses and different kinds of parasites and things that can actually hijack the mind of an entity and control it. It's a whole thing. So when Paul here is talking about, when Paul here, some of you are like really disgusted, some of you are laughing. It's like the room is split between really cool and really disgusted. What Paul's talking about here is this, that sin is more than just this thing that has really just kind of leached onto us and we're just kind of brush it off. We're like, get off me. It's something that has just kind of like become us. And so it's not that, that Paul is, is talking about sin that he does. He's talking He's talking about sin that he has become. I want you to notice, starting in verse 7, how personal he gets. Go back there with me. In verses 1 through 6, sin is still kind of an abstract idea in his argument. He's talking about the sin, the idea of the letter of the law. He's, he's laying down his, his case. But when he gets to verse 7, he begins to speak in the first person. And he says, may it never be on the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. And then he gets super personal in the verses we just read in verse 14, where he's not talking about sin as just something that he's doing, but something that he has become. And so here's, here's the deal. How does this apply to us? You and I, we are faced with an impossible situation. It is truly, how do we get into heaven? How does someone get into heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because if sin is not merely kind of an anti-checklist, that is a list of things that we aren't supposed to check off. But if at the same time, we are actually sinners, then it means that we can't really live by a checklist <clears throat> because we'll inevitably end up <clears throat> checking off the wrong things because we're going to, if we live life by a checklist and we want to get into heaven, in other words, we're going to check off the wrong things. Grace is going to be there, and we're going to say, no, I don't need to check that off. And by the way, we couldn't if we tried. <clears throat> so what do we do? Well, Paul tells us the answer. He says, and here's a third point, there is a law of God in the inner man. There is a law of God in the inner, in, in the inner man. <clears throat> so the law by itself was never intended to save you. Instead, it's the God of the law who gave us the law in the first place that we need to be looking to. So look with me at verse 22. He says, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. In other words, there is a law that has been baked into you as someone who has been made in God's image. Yes, there is the law of God. Don't touch this tree. Don't eat from this tree. But there's also the law of God that is in you, the inner law. He describes this as a different law. So therefore, the man who tries to live by the law alone as a way of salvation ironically ignores the law in full because there is a law in the inner man. And so we are ignoring the full law whenever we 
ignore the God of the law, and we were made for this law, this thing that God has baked in us. Look in verse 23 and notice how he describes it as a different law in the members of his body. And so there is the law of the mind and the law of the flesh, as he says in verse 25. In verse 23, the law by itself is the kind that sin uses and abuses. This law that God has given sin is a parasite that attaches to that and has brought sin and death into humanity. But God in his sovereign grace has provided a way of, of escape for us. And look with me at verse 24, because as Paul is thinking about the power of sin through the law, he begins to think of his life and he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And thankfully, <clears throat> thankfully in verse 25, he gives us an answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Listen, the idea here is powerful. The idea here is powerful because as much as sin through the law made you one with sin, God's grace through our faith makes you one with Jesus. So as much as sin through the law made you one with sin where you can't help but sin, God's grace through Jesus can make you one with Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Some of you may remember in 1986, the song that was written by Steve Winwood and Will Jennings, I think popularized by Whitney Houston, Higher Love. Anyone remember that song? <clears throat> the lyrics are uh, uh, in our house. Sometimes we like to listen to 80s dance music. So I like the song. <clears throat> listen to these lyrics. They say, think about it. There must be a higher love down in the heart or hidden in the stars above. It's like you can hear them just the Imago Dei just kind of spilling out into this song. And they don't even know it. Without it, life is wasted time. Look inside your heart and I'll look inside mine. Things look so bad everywhere. In this whole world, what is fair? They say, we walk the line and we try to see falling behind in what could be. Oh, bring me a higher love. And it's like they begin to scream and cry out. It's more of a poem than it is a song. Bring me a higher love, they say. Bring me a higher love. Oh, bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? And Paul says, Jesus. Jesus is that higher love. Jesus is the one. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, he's the higher love. And so you, you listen this morning. You say, so what? What's the point of all of that? You know, as a pastor, I often get the question, Pastor Jared, if God knew that Adam and Eve we're going to sin, then why did he create them any, at all? Why would God create them in his sovereignty, knowing that all this was going to happen, that sin and death were going to come into the world? You know, Paul, we're going to get here in a couple of uh, few weeks, but at the end of Romans 11, Paul gives us the answer to some of life's biggest questions. When we're trying to relate man's uh, meaningful choices to, to God's sovereignty, Sometimes we think that we have the wisdom to, to articulate that perfectly when Paul himself, the one who articulates it starting in Romans 9 all the way through Romans 11, gets to the end and just says, who am I to know the mind of the Lord? Who, am I his counselor? And so I don't have all of the articulated answers for some of those things, but I do, I do know this. I do know that what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 5, he says, if we've been united with him in death like his... Because the greatest act of evil ever, uh, ever uh, displayed in this creation is the death of an innocent man who also is God, Jesus, hanging on a cross. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, what we do know is this. 
We do know that while sin has come through the law, that through Christ, we can have a resurrected, glorified state that is impervious to sin. And so the picture that God gives us at the end of, at the end of time is, is us in glorified states with the trees that God has created in the new kingdom. And we don't have to worry ever about breaking God's law again because sin cannot come through that law because the person of God is there illuminating all of new creation and we are in glorified states and we are impervious to sin. That's what we do know. And this is the power whenever these authors are saying, where is this higher love? Where is it? Paul says, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one through which we discover this higher love. And so God's sovereign story of Jesus's resurrection, what he's telling us is that it provides for us not merely life, not just a checklist, not just a to-do list like Adam and Eve, but resurrection, glorification, the kind that can dwell in God's garden and with God's law, but never have to worry about breaking it again. That's what eternal life is. So listen, we, we're not made just to follow God's law. You're not made just to show up on Sundays and go to church to be a good boy or girl. You're not made just to read your Bible because that's what you're supposed to do. You're not made to pray just because you hope that you'll please the Lord. You do those things, yes, but those things should never, ever be divorced from the God of the law. And Paul is pushing back against this idea. And I don't know if you have ever felt like you've just been trying so hard, but you can't get it right. I want you to hear me say this. It's because you can't. Just like Paul, this sin nature is so deeply entrenched in us that we tend to do, even after salvation, we still wrestle. But this is why we stand not on our own faithfulness. We're standing on the faithfulness of God. So I wonder this morning, what kind of sins are uh, ensnaring you? What kind of things are holding you back from a life of holiness? And then more importantly, how are you trying to overcome those things? Are you looking for different ways? Are you looking to yourself? Or are you looking to live by a higher standard? One that, yes, understands the letter of the law, but by God's grace understands the spirit of the law, the spirit himself who dwells in us and gives us the inner law, the higher reason for living, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you know Jesus, then uh, this altar is a place that we open up for you as we respond in song. Um, an opportunity for you to respond to God's word, to bend your knee, and uh, just to have a conversation with the Lord. And I would encourage you this morning, if you're someone who finds yourself ensnared by some kind of sin or some kind of thing in your life that you feel like is holding you back, to maybe bring your Bible up here, lay it on this altar, and open it up and read verses 14 through 22, and just say, Lord, I echo the words of Paul from 2,000 years ago. And Lord, I'm telling you, I'm struggling, and I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and I, I'm not doing what I want to do. And just reading those and just being honest with the Lord this morning and just asking Him to help you with your sanctification, with your holiness. If you're someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus and you're interested in a relationship with Jesus, then we encourage you to go to our website, tastesprings.com, and click a button that says, Know Jesus. And when you do that, that uh, sends an email to me, and I respond uh, to those, and I uh, talk with you about what it means to know the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that you can have of overcoming sin and death and having eternal life with him by his grace through our faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, uh, we love you. 
and we do pray this morning that you would help us. Lord, we know that you have already given us this higher love that, that these authors spoke about, these songwriters spoke about, that they begged for as they looked out into the world. They were wondering, is there something more to this? And Paul says there is. God, in your sovereignty, you've given us a plan that we may not understand. But God, you've proved yourself as we sang. You've proved yourself over and over. And who are we to be your counselor to say, God, I wouldn't have done it that way. What we know, God, is that you did not leave us stranded. So I want to pray, Father, for um, this congregation here today in this place, in this room. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, God, that you would help us. Those of us who, who maybe have entered into this place today, who have been... Um, as the writer of Hebrews says, there is a sin perhaps that is so easily entangling us that maybe we would spend a few minutes with you this morning holding your law in our hands and opening it up and just reading it back to you. Just being honest and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling right now. God, maybe, um, maybe there's some here and maybe it's not a sin that's so easily entangling them, but maybe it's a circumstance. And they just need to feel your grace today. Maybe there's some brokenness in their life, some fears and anxieties, and they just need to know that you're not blind lady justice, but that you are a personal God. And I pray that you would encourage them and comfort them today. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. And as we respond in song and by coming to the altar, we pray that you would meet with us. And, Lord, that you would send us off today closer to you than when we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.